Each week I receive some voicemails and emails that I don't get to work into the podcast for one reason or another. Last week, Hope Davis wrote a nice email about American identity. And in the email, she mentioned the idea of America as a melting pot. I remember exactly where I was when I first heard that term. It was 1975, and I was sitting in my third-grade classroom at Palms Elementary. That's in Los Angeles, where I grew up. I remember Mrs. Shoemaker talking about it with such pride. America is a melting pot, she said. People come here from all over the world, all nationalities. We mix together and come out American, or something like that. How times have changed. Until I got that email from Hope, I wondered if people still even learn that term. For most people who come to America, the melting pot is voluntary. I'd say we still have a melting pot to some extent. Immigrants come here because they've heard of the American dream. They know it's elusive, yet possible for your children to grow up better off than you were when you arrived. So they eagerly learn English, find work where they can, and send their kids off to American schools so they can assimilate. I have two nieces born in the U.S., but whose mother is El Salvadoran. I can remember how she sacrificed so her kids would have every opportunity for the American dream. She refused to speak Spanish to them, for example. In her mind, she wanted her children to be Americans. She believed in the melting pot. Anthropologists call the process of adopting a new culture while losing your old cultural attributes assimilation. In my sister-in-law's case, it was generational assimilation, but assimilation nonetheless. But elsewhere in America today, I see cracks in the melting pot. The concept of multiculturalism has replaced the concept of the melting pot. Now, multiculturalism is the core belief that you can be an American while still maintaining your cultural traditions. My sister-in-law was old school melting pot all the way. But today, immigrant children are likely to grow up bilingual, even bicultural. Anthropologists call that process, the process of learning a culture while maintaining previous cultural ties, acculturation. Leonard Littlefinger, the author of We Walk on Our Ancestors, The Sacredness of the Black Hills, his ancestors were forcefully assimilated by the American government, especially between 1887 and 1934. The Dawes Act of 1887 authorized then-President Grover Cleveland to subdivide Native American tribal lands into privately owned allotments. The goal was to assimilate the Indians into mainstream American society by making them U.S. citizens and encouraging them to use the allotments to start farms or other businesses so they could participate in the capitalist economy and the culture of the United States. Dawes believed that forcing Native Americans into the melting pot was in their own best interests. He hoped this new system would eventually lead to their complete assimilation. The stated purpose of the Dawes Act was to protect, quote, the property of the natives and facilitate, quote, their absorption into the American mainstream. However, there were immediate negative repercussions to the Dawes Act. First, the act apportioned only about 40 acres per male adult in most cases, which only accounted for a third of the tribal lands. The other two-thirds was labeled as surplus property and made available to white settlers turned into one of the biggest land grabs in U.S. history as millions of acres were gobbled up overnight. Secondly, all the tribal laws and governing bodies were effectively abolished, and along with them, protection of their rights as independent nations. That problem was compounded by the third effect, which was that citizenship was withheld from the affected people until they fully assimilated. The loss of land and the negative cultural effects of Dawes have since prompted scholars to refer to the act as one of the most destructive Native American policies in U.S. history. Cynically, some call it genocide. This is the context of Leonard Littlefinger's article. He sees the past through this 
negative cultural lens, he sees that the U.S. failed to deliver on its promise that his people would control their lands in perpetuity. You might wonder why, if the Dawes Act abolished indigenous governments, why Native American reservations with independent governments still exist today. For that, you can thank John Collins, who led the Bureau of Indian Affairs from 1933 to 1945 in the Franklin D. Roosevelt administration. As an advocate of Native American rights, he wrote the language for the Indian Reorganization Act of 1934, which effectively ended the Dawes Act and intended to reverse the damage that it had caused. John Collins, by the way, had been a student of Franz Boas, the noted anthropologist that we talked about in the first week of class. Now, the Indian Reorganization Act of 1934 was helpful, but it simply is not possible to change the past. The Dawes Act was what it was, and we all have to live with that. A lot of Native American descendants want to know more about their cultural heritage, but so much of it was melted down in the Dawes Act. Jesse Mejia writes in, Good afternoon, Dr. Pearl. With regards to your question, I do think there is a difference between how you look at the two different names of the melting pot and the assimilation pot, because one sounds like corruption, while the other sounds more optimistic. Aside from the difference in names, I do believe it's progressive in order to become more diverse and open-minded about the world around us. With such knowledge of other cultures, languages, and religions, we don't always have to follow them, yet we can become more aware and understanding. A blend of different people pulls us together as well for peace, almost at least. A number of you wrote in and challenged my question as to whether or not the term assimilation pot might be a synonym for the melting pot, and I have to admit I definitely intended to be provocative on that point. However, the term assimilation wasn't meant to be pejorative. It's a natural process that all people undergo to some extent when they begin living within a new cultural environment. As new students, for example, you might have assimilated to some degree with Aggie culture or student culture. And Hallie Robinson wrote in with a unique perspective, taking it all the way back to the first white settlers coming from Europe. She writes, This topic to me must be taken back to the first white people who came here. There was a culture that very much existed before they arrived, but they did not feel the need to assimilate. Before the United States was even united, its people were not assimilating. People in different communities practiced different religions and different sects of the religion. For the most part, if it was Christian, it was okay. My point is, there was no mold created for the ideal American in the first place. You could speak German, Italian, Swedish, but as long as you own the land in the United States, you are an American. I believe a large part of the unwillingness to accept non-conformers nowadays is rooted in racism. People don't tend to worry about the couple who speaks French to one another. Rather, they worry about the Muslim family that just moved in town from Canada. We fear so-called religious enclaves, but do not realize that Christian enclaves already exist in this country. We just don't identify them as such. Our country was founded by immigrants, immigrants who took what was not theirs and wiped out anyone who disagreed with them. We cannot forget our beginnings, and we cannot let xenophobia stop the United States from becoming what it always thought it was, a culturally diverse haven for anyone in need of a fresh start. And now let's hear some voicemail. The melting pot is a term used often in America, but what they don't want to realize is that it also has a strainer attached to it. It cuts the part of the cultures that are too different. Um, you know, there's several rich cultures that are beautiful and they got completely butchered 
And so now there's only a, a tiny part that we actually know about it. And it's not good for America. It, it has worked for right now, but that doesn't mean it's good. There's been several uprisings. There's been several debates. And only just now is the government really getting to a point of possibly getting, like, starting to fix it. Many cultures have died off because of this melting pot. Completely not assimilating to our language or our economy also is bad and almost impossible. I think if the government really tried, though, and actually talked to the cultures, they could end up creating something beautiful, a beautiful melting pot, without butchering their cultures. I believe America's greatly lacking in true culture. We just steal other cult parts of other cultures. So America should teach more about these other rich cultures and create an open minding and an understanding to other cultures. The, they are two extremes, the not assimilating and the assimilating. We never found the middle. And I'm scared that we never will for the fact that it'd take hundreds of years and already so many of those rich cultures have died off, and I don't know if they can be brought back. When I think of the word melting pot, I think of all the rich cultures blended together in America and how they've been interwoven into what it means to become an American. Uh, assimilation has its pros and cons, but I personally believe that it's more pro than con. When cultures are mixed together, I'd like to believe that individuals will eventually learn to respect and cherish certain aspects of their culture, like foreign cuisine or music, which in turn leads to viewing one not as different, but as your equal. Howdy, Dr. Pearl. It's Elisa McClelland. Um, I believe that the melting pot is good for America. I think what makes America great is um, that it's a mixture of cultures from all around the world. Um, and then in terms of immigrants assimilating, I think that people's cultures shouldn't be lost or suppressed when they move to the U.S., but I think that they do need to take into consideration the American culture, just as I would if I were to visit or move to another country. I want to thank everyone who texted or emailed, even those I couldn't get to. Jesse Mejia, Madison Graves, Hallie Robinson, Amanda Schaefer, Kirsten Newbro, Alyssa McLeland, and Joshua Cole-Turner. Everybody have a great week, and thanks for listening to the podcast. <laughs>